Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, it's January. It's the start of year. And we know the most important thing that you have got is your ability to earn an income. Now, how do you do that? Well, you've got a job, you've got a career, you might work in a team, you might lead a team. There are these one percenters that you need to think about to really optimize your work day, your work week, your work life. What if you're in a team and it's a little bit toxic or there's some weird stuff happening and you can't put your finger on it? What if you lead a team and you're wondering, how do I lead these people well? Well, today on the podcast, I'm joined by Shane Hatton and we're talking about workplace culture and your own personal leadership. It's a bit of a different episode, but I really wanted to have this conversation because it is the start of a new year and I want you to listen to this episode and in the background, start to think, the place that I'm working, is it the right type of environment that I want to be in another 12 months? Can we start to have the conversation to see if we can change the climate? Or if you are a leader, can you start to have the conversation with your team to start changing that climate? It could take some time. And then finally, I want you to be the best version of you possible. Before we get into this episode, I want to thank Global X, our new show partner to my millennial money. You'll hear a bit about Global X every single Thursday because they've stepped up and supported my millennial money. So we are so thankful that they've got behind financial literacy and investing education here in Australia. We're so thankful for show partners because they help bring the show to you. They really do. And we can't do any of the podcasts that we do without quality brands and companies getting behind the podcast. So Global X, they provide ETFs. They're domiciled in Australia, which is really important. You'll hear more about Global X in the coming weeks. Global X is formerly ETF Securities. They've got a variety of different thematic ETFs that you can add to your investment portfolio. To learn more, you can head to globalxetfs.com.au and we'll get into the podcast right now. Thanks, Global X. Okay, let's just quickly paint the scene. What do you do? What's your day job? What's your day thing? All the stuff, just to set the scene of who Shane Hatton is. <laughs> I look in the mirror and ask myself that every single day. <laughs> look, in a nutshell, what I do is I, I help leaders. And that's a very big and broad kind of umbrella that everything sits underneath there. But ultimately, I help people increase their visibility within their workplaces to increase their opportunity for earning potential and career progression uh, by, by helping them be remarkable at what they do in their job. Yeah, because, you know, someone might say, oh, I'm not in leadership, but <laughs> I would disagree. Like we all lead ourselves. Yeah. Like, so we need to lead ourselves well. Yeah. And you not you might not be a key person in a team, but someone might be looking at you. Someone yeah. might be looking up to you. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you ask someone, do you have influence over another person? 
in whatever context that might mm. be. That could be a, a parent to a child, a sibling to another sibling. If you have any kind of influence and every person does, then you have some degree of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people might be thinking, oh, it's a bloody money podcast. What are you doing <laughs> talking to Shane? Again, at the start, I'm talking about like for me in my life, Glenn James, I've always focused on these one percenters that aren't a direct trade for like I invest $1 and I get $1.20 back. Like, no, I want to do the touchy-feely stuff and really maximize every corner of my life because the money will come then, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, if you think about people's, uh, you know, you could talk about investment, you could talk a whole range of investments, but we don't often talk about the investment in self mm. and the investment and the return that that brings to the way that you show up to work, the way that you are seen by other people in your work, the career progression and opportunities that that provides, and then the ultimate return on investment through career progression, visibility and opportunity. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like full disclosure, everyone, this episode probably should be done by Shell on the Career <laughs> Podcast. And you were on the podcast with Shell last year. But I wanted to actually have this conversation uh, from a human interest point of view, like Glenn James, and I want to bring everyone else along for the ride. So you help leaders, you help teams. Yeah. You've also got two books. Talk to us about the books. Yeah. So my first book was called Lead the Room, Communicating Message That Counts in Moments That Matter. And it was all about how do I, in those really critical moments in my life and my career, make sure that when I communicate, I have the opportunity to get my message heard by people. Mm. And then the second one, which came out um, just recently, was called Let's Talk Culture, The Conversations You Need to Create the Team You Want, which is all about how do I build culture by design? How do I spot good culture? Mm. How do I spot bad culture? And how do I create create the culture that I really want. So for those who are an employee, you know, you go to work and you work within a team of people. And I guess like there's so many situations in life where the frog's in the pot boiling, right? Like you could be in a pretty toxic place and not know it. Like, are there any kind of top three signs Mm. that we should be looking out for when it comes to working within teams and culture? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, interesting stuff, uh, place to start would be to understand what culture means to people. Mm. And we actually engaged in a research project for the book. And I say we, I partnered with McCrindle's Australian-based research company, and we studied a thousand Australian managers. And we asked them what they believed culture was, what, how it showed up at work, a whole range of questions. And the first question we asked them was, do you think culture is important? 99% said yes, absolutely. We then asked them, do you know what culture is? 97% said yes, and then we asked them, what is your definition of culture? And only one in 10 could give us an answer. Really? Yeah. So what is the kind of textbook definition of a culture? Well, what was interesting is- All culture. Of the one in 10 people we asked, we asked them to kind of just give us their best definition. They said something along the lines of cultures, the collection of values and behaviors that guide and inform the actions of all team members. And it was a really good definition, almost a little bit too good. And I thought to myself, if I said that I knew how to define culture and the next question I was asked to define culture, what would I do? Mm. I went to Google and I typed define organizational culture and that was the answer that came up. So one in 10 people could give us a consistent definition of culture and all of them Googled the answer. For me, it's (laughs) kind of like the wind. Yeah. You can't see, but you feel its effect. (laughs) Well, that's a good one. I mean, I've heard all kinds of different definitions. I've heard people say culture is like the soil. When it's healthy, good things grow. Mm. I've heard people say culture is like the spirit or the vibe of our organization. Culture is really easy to describe, but it's really hard to define. And the reason why it's so hard to define is because right now there's no universal definition of culture. Now, would you say, and I'm just kind of one of the reasons why I did want you on here, like if you're at a workplace and the culture actually sucks there is probably less chance 
that you'll earn good money mm. and also have a fulfilling day and life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about all of the kind of idea of what we describe as culture being, and if we were to not go into the detail of it, just boil it down to its essence, most of the time what people talk about when they say culture is our behavioral norms in the organization. So when we go into a business, we look at the behaviors of everybody and go, what's the okay things to do and the not okay things to do? If you show up every single day and you are absolutely turned off by the behavior in your organization, the last thing that you want to do is bring your best to that team or to that business. And unfortunately, if you're not in a place where you're bringing your best every single day, not only do you feel personally drained, but you're not showing up in the best way to other people around you. And it, it can ruin your reputation. It can ruin your credibility. And these are the things that people are watching you from a distance going, hey, is this person the kind of person that we want to progress and promote? And if you're disengaged, you know, not interested in the work that you're doing, why would any person want to promote you? What do you think the most common thing in a workplace in terms of bad culture is? Like, mm. I don't know, like I'm thinking... Would it be like you're getting white-anted by a team member or like is there some tell time? Because it's like we're all humans, yeah. right? So other than like toxic gossiping and all that stuff, like is yeah. there a common thread that you see in bad cultures? Yeah. I, I always go, rather than using the word toxic culture, I think it's an important one. I always go when it's not the culture you want because sure. some context is considered toxic to another's healthy. Yeah. But I would say we actually found five really key um, elements of culture, which was um, elements of negative culture. And the first one was a lack of trust. Right. When people don't trust each other on the team. And you've probably seen that, right? In contexts where you're not sure if you can really trust this person. Like the last thing you want to do is work with them every single day. Mm, yeah. What are the other ones? Okay. So a lack of trust was number one. Uh, number two was negativity from uh, leaders or team members which again, makes sense if you're going every day and people are kind of whinging and complaining about each other. Uh, the third one was um, absent or disconnected leaders. So you'd never hear from the organization's leaders or what's going on. Uh, fourth was unclear or unrealistic workload expectations. Mm. And the last was a lack of accountability. Wow. Wow. I'm just doing an autopsy doing a, on you. Doing, doing a chicken flick like, checklist. Yeah. Of, I mean, probably people who are listening right now are listening to this and going, tick, tick, tick. Oh gosh, yeah. we've, we've got one of five. Yeah. No, I think like from my team and Simo, like we spent a lot of time with Shell uh, last year, really, you know, nailing our culture and all that. And it's not perfect, but it's certainly, yeah, I, I think it, it's just, can you just re-summarize them? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So number one was a lack of trust. Yeah. Number two was negativity yeah. amongst team members and leaders. Yeah. Number three was absent or disconnected leaders. Four was unclear or unrealistic workload expectations. Mm. And five was a lack of accountability. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Because most of these things we wouldn't talk about or describe that way. But when you hear them and you go through almost like a checklist of a culture, you go, if those things are not there, and there's other things, of course, but if these things aren't there, who wants to kind of show up in a place like that? Yeah, because some of the culture you can see, right? Like yeah. just before we started press and record, we walked across the road and we got a coffee and I walked out there and I said to you like, gosh, they need to read your book as if like, was no one happy to actually be there? Like, because <laughs> some of the things you can see, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So when we talk about culture, there's two elements to it, right? There's the unseen elements and there's the observable elements. The observable elements, we talk about things like policies and behaviors and patterns and practices, but the unseen is like values and uh, meanings and assumptions. And so what we do to interpret culture is look at the observable, which is like the behaviors, and we make sense of the unseen. So when you go into the coffee shop and that person is miserable to see you, like they don't want your business, what are the assumptions that you make about that business? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, for me, I was just like, it's clearly 
I, and this is kind of, you know, everyone has bad days and yeah. the grace and all that, but I've been to this place before <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> It's gosh. a bit of a pattern of behaviour. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, okay, well, there's obviously the owner of the cafe must just not be present because would they want their staff talking mm. to customers that way? Yeah. Oh, I mean, gosh, oh, you would hope not. Mm. But that's the assumption that you make based on the observable behaviours. And mm. the truth is people are doing that about every single person that's listening to this. People mm. are looking at your behaviours and they're interpreting your values. And unfortunately, if we show up in a particular way, people interpret about who we are. So if someone was on a team and they wake up this year, go to work and go, oh, there's actually no accountability here mm. or there's very unclear expectations... As an employee, how can I take that up the chain to start to change culture? Because it could be like, you know, trying to steer the Titanic with a broken rudder. That's a good metaphor. It could feel like that, right? Mm. I mean, one of the challenges I have with people is often people hear about my work and they go, oh, you work with leaders. Well, I'm not a leader in my business. I'm just on a team. And I always go, that doesn't mean you can't maneuver and, and adjust the culture. You just have to go about it in a different way. So if you're a team leader, you can design the conversations to create the culture that you want. If you're a team member, you have to be a little bit more strategic mm. with it. And what I would say is you just have to shift from tell, which is as a leader, you go, hey, this is what we're going to do, to ask as a teamer, which is go, hey, can I ask a few questions about how we want to do things and get a bit of clarity from the leader that you're working with? So for example, you would say like, how do we, number one, have a conversation about our expectations of one another? If I show up in my, in my team and I go, hey, as a leader of this team, like what do you expect of me about the way, you know, my hours work? Mm. We've probably never had an explicit conversation about that. And because we haven't, we kind of left to this kind of grey interpretive, uh, almost interpretive dance area where it's like, is this kind of what they want or is it, not, is it not what they want? But if you ask the question, it causes the leader to have to be explicit about that conversation. Yeah, so setting realistic expectations. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. And if... You know, I don't know if you understand, Shane, but our career book, it is out and obviously everyone's going to buy your books as well and we're going to put those links in the show note. But I talked about like if you want to make changes or if you want to give your team or your workplace the benefit of the doubt, like obviously it's not going to happen overnight. There needs to be a process. But at what point, like would you say if the wheels aren't moving within three months, like you've got to be out of there for your own benefit? Yeah. One of the things that the last few years of, you know, whatever we want to call it, just chaos really, has caused people to do is to reevaluate a whole range of things, reevaluate their career, reevaluate their lives. And especially being the start of a new year, there's probably a lot of people that are going through that similar process as a reevaluation of their, their life and their career. And I think it's worth taking time to ask yourself, is our organization, is my leader, is my team willing to learn and grow? Mm. And if they're not willing to learn, then there's a pretty good chance that they're not likely to change. And so I would be looking at go, what are some of the kind of key elements of feedback that I've given to my leader? And have I seen them at least take it on board and try to make an effort towards change? And if they are, then you can almost endure a little bit of kind of challenge in order to be able to see progress and growth. But if you keep feel like you're saying the same thing over and over again, and they're not even willing to hear it, let alone willing to kind of try to change, then I reckon it's worth starting to evaluate whether that's the place you want to be. Yeah, because like we spend so much time at work and with the people at work. Yeah. And this is why I want to do this episode in January. Like if it's not right and it doesn't look like signs of life changing after you've heard this conversation and 
you start to think, okay, how can I start bringing up this stuff with my team? You've got to try and find another workplace. Yeah. Can we can we step into your domain for a second? Because mm. I think this is a good space. Like at what point at an investment do you realise, hey, I've got to get out of this? Well, look, it's, gosh. I mean, okay, here's an example. I, at the end of last year, I don't do single stocks. Like I just don't. Someone said to me, oh, here's a company here. I know the... And it's probably fifth-hand information, like it's not insider knowledge. Like, oh, I know the CEO. and I like that you made that very explicit <laughs> yeah, in that yeah, conversation. That's right, yeah. Right then. yeah, like they're like, oh, yeah, it's a goer and they're, they're going to like go to town. And I'm like, oh, you're a pain in the ass. All right. So I logged in and put, I think, two grand into this share. Like I'm not talking like millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And I'm like, okay, well, if it's a genuine kind of rumor or something like that and it's going to go up 40 or 50%, sure, I'll flick it two grand. Like if it doubles, awesome. Now, as at today, I, I think that like shoeing company is negative 43%. Wow. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know what? The chances of this thing actually recovering, I, I'm just cutting my losses and moving on. Like I've sat on it for a little while, Yeah. but I'm talking, and this is very good to dig down into this because this is kind of can swing into people get confused with their job being their career. No, your job is within your career and your job can suck and you can get another job in the same field. So for me, my investing strategy, I invest quote unquote in my career. And within that strategy, most of the stuff is long-term ETFs, managed funds, set and forget, just pumping it. We're going in that direction. And that little specky that someone tipped me off, which I've lost, you know, a grand on, that's just a job. Like, so I can just change that. And it's like, yeah, I did, I did risk that. And it could be, you might be in sales, right? And, you know, there's always opportunity in sales and you might go and, I know a guy I was talking to the other day, he is in a startup. Uh, it was good, hasn't really worked out. So he's going to change into another job. He's not changing careers. So I don't know. It was just, yeah, interesting there. Like with my wholesale investments, I'm not chopping and changing them every other week. Like your career, you're not, you're not choosing a new career every year. Like we know the stats say that you will have career changes. Like I'm onto my third career now. Yeah. I, I, so, yeah. I think that's a good metaphor. Like if you, if you, cause people will understand this, right? You don't go into this game without a strategy mm. and yet we fall through jobs and career without a real intention. Maybe we started out with a clear intention, which is, mm. you know, I want to go into marketing or I want to go into finance or I want to go into these particular areas. And then we get into a job we hate and we go, well, I'm just, looks like I'm here I'm until I out. die. Yeah. I'm know? not cut out for marketing because I hate this job. Well, no, no, no. It could just be a crappy place to work. Yeah. And there could be other marketing jobs that are better. Yeah. And why, when, when you're thinking about, I'm guessing for people who are investing as well, there's always that kind of risk profile that people have. And there's always going to be that fear of if I leave this job, am I going to be able to find another job? And it would be the same way. It's like, is it risky to invest in this? You know? Actually, we'll go there because it's, you know, I know this is kind of, I want to talk about your stuff, but this is important. I'd, I'd like to bounce it off you. Yeah. In the book, Sort Your Career Out, um, there's a big chapter on risk, right? And what we kind of distilled it down to is risk is only the execution. Now, I use the analogy in the half of the chapter that I wrote about an Olympic diver doing a 10-meter dive, right? 
the first day they start diving, they're not going up to the 10 meters and jumping. They're starting with some personal fitness. They're starting with some just general hygiene. I'm fit. I like swimming. I like water. I, and then they might go to a, I don't know anything about diving, but it's an analogy, so we can go there. Then they might start at the, that diving board and nail that. Then they move up to the next diving board and nail that. Now, it could be risky to dive from a 10-meter thing if you've never gone up the correct way to do it. Mm. So the risk is only the execution. If you do all the preparation work in your career, work on that risk muscle, work on your values, work on your strengths and skills, work on all this other stuff, the hygiene factors, jumping off that diving board is just the execution. I, I like the, the word kind of preparation in that because mm. one of the things we get trapped into is this fear of, okay, if I'm not moving up, then I'm not making progress. And it's like going, okay, well, if I'm not at the 10 meter diving board and we look at, we're in this kind of weird era where we just compare ourselves with everyone and feel like an imposter almost all the time. Mm. And we'll look at somebody else doing better than us and go, well, how do I get up to where they are? And the word preparation I think is key in that because if you think about it like career as a ladder, it's all about up. It's up or down. That's my only options. I don't know if you ever, look, maybe you're not into gardening, but I don't know if you know gardening lattices, those kind of crisscross things, they, they go out and across. We can either think in ladders, which is up and down, or we think of lattices, which is kind of up and down Mm. and out. Mm. And I think you can be in a career or a job right now that you may not feel like you're moving up, but you could be building out. Mm. And if you're building out your skills and understanding your strengths and your values, then when it does come time to move up, you're actually prepared for what's next right now. Yeah. And I think, yeah, this is fascinating. And this is why like, I just said to Shane, let's just have a chat and we'll find somewhere to dig. As part of the risk chapter, I talk about, because I'm thinking like, okay, if you're listening to this and be like, oh, there's actually no accountability in my team, there's no trust, you know, this is actually not normal because I asked a friend down the road, oh, how does your team work? And they're like, oh, no, we like each other and, (laughs) you know, everyone's good and it's clear. And you're like, oh, crap, I've woken up in this. The dream job that was supposed, that's turned into a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's that meme's like, this isn't an office, this is hell with fluorescent lighting. (laughs) Um, When I talk about risk in the book, there's a diagram there and some of the things that you might come up against in your job or in your workplace are actual confidence issues, not actual risks. Mm. One of them could be not feeling guilty for having a sick day. You are absolutely entitled not to work if you're sick. Another thing that is a confidence thing is voicing concerns with team members. Mm. So what I wanted to do is, as part of this risk chapter See there, there's like a grey section in the middle of the yeah. the table. I'm showing him a PDF of the book. Some of the things that I've labelled a healthy target range for your risk muscle for everyday career use are these things, right? Applying for a role that you only meet 60% of the criteria, asking for training and development, asking for a salary review and not putting up with crap. So those things there, not putting up with crap, asking for, can I have a review and all that? That's actually a healthy level of workplace muscle flexing type of quote unquote risk. Yeah. You know, it's interesting for some of those people, some people listening, they're kind of, um, if you were to put everything on a scale of one to 10, right, let's talk about like the diving board, the three meter, the 10 meter diving board. If you kind of put your kind of particular areas on that scale, for some people's three is going to be another person's 10. And I think that's probably something that's worth noting for people who are sitting there going, you're talking about the 10 meter diving ball, but for three, for me, three feels like a 10. And that's where I want to say, I need to get you to the seven 
because to make a more resilient person in the workplace, because I don't like confrontation. I mean, Many people don't. Like I know friends, their communication style is I'll drop a grenade at the family barbecue and then leave the room. Like there are freaks who live for that stuff. But I think just to get us to a baseline level mm. of functioning and looking after you because you're the only one who cares about your career. No one else is looking out, out for you. So you've got to be very, very conscious of the fact that you look after your career. Yeah. You are the only one looking after you. Someone's three isn't another person's 10, but as a society, I think we all need to understand that five should be normal to say, hey, I'm sick today. Yeah. I'm not coming in. Like that should be be normal. I love that. Because I think what your metaphor there of, of it being like a muscle to flex... Look, I, I don't know what your experience is, is at the gym. But Not like, great. Look, I, I think I, I'm speaking as though like this is a daily practice for me. But I, what I do know is my, I have good experiences being a first-time user of a gym. And when you go in there, it's so awkward and uncomfortable because you sit there and go like, should I just be lifting massive weights? And you get in there and then the next day you wake up and you're completely wrecked as a result of it. Mm-hmm. What I like about yours is going like, find the like the, the these kind of reps that are should be consistent for everybody that everyone can start on. Mm-hmm. And you start doing that and you go, oh gosh, like I, I called in sick because I was actually sick, which means now- And I don't I, feel guilty. And I don't feel guilty about yeah. it, which means now I can have maybe that more difficult conversation with my, my boss about, hey, I'm not really liking the kind of attitudes of the team around here. Mm. And the thing that you've been doing, practicing, sets you up for the thing that- Yeah, so kind of next. like full circle, if we go back to your five things that suck about the culture, you may have to, if you think it's a good workplace and you like the career, it's just your little pod or your team isn't healthy- you may need to do just some basic reps to get your own confidence up yeah. before you start actually attacking these issues. Yeah. And some of them are going to be really deep rooted. I think that's the other thing that's worth mentioning is when you're looking to change culture, you're working against an organizational memory. So sometimes you've had a team that's been formed for 10 years and you want to change the culture in three weeks. You're working against 10 years of deeply in, in, ingrained kind of behaviors. And so you can't, just change it overnight. You've got to go for those little behaviors and go, hey, can I have a conversation about this behavior that I saw? And I don't know if it's helpful. And you change that behavior and you change that behavior. You may have heard this before, but I read it in a book and I, I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast for a year or so, but I'll say it again because it's fascinating and exactly what we're talking about. In the army, I think in America or something like that, when they shoot one of the cannons, what they do, they have the cannon there and then they go, Yep, fire, and then they count down five, four, like whatever, count down. And someone said one day, "Is like, why is there a, a waiting period once it's like in the thing and loaded and all that before it's fired? And they didn't know, but it worked out. That time period was in the times where they had the horse bring up the thing and then they had to move the horse away so it wouldn't scare the horse too much. But there's not horses anymore, so it was this organizational memory that we're doing this because that's just the way it's always been done. Yeah, there's there's the old kind of like folklore story of the grandmother who was cutting off the ends of the the kind of roast before she would put it into the oven and then passed it down to her daughter and her granddaughter and this kind of young girl goes to put a roast in the oven and cuts off the end of it and they were like, why do you do that? And she's like, we've just always done it. And they realized it was because the great-grandmother only had a short pan. (laughs) It's the same thing. Like you just do it because that's the thing. What I like that you've touched on today is, which is so helpful for people, is your getting people to kind of get out of the the wheels just consistently turning to stop and go, hey, let's reflect on some of these things because these are big things that are worth taking the time to think about. 
And I'll, I'll, just to round out this whole risk thing, at the end of this spectrum here, so we've got the three things, these four points at the very end, which is high risk, which means a chance of higher return. High risk doesn't always mean you'll get a higher return. Yeah. Just the chance of getting a higher return. These are actually what some career risks actually are. So the other stuff is a confidence thing. The other stuff is this is just everyday stuff you need to work on your risk muscle. The next things I'm about to read are legitimate risks. One, a commission sales role. Well, that's a risk. Two, industry change. Completely new career almost. Yeah. Three, starting a new business. And four, quitting your job with no job lined up. So with risk, there's always a spectrum. Yeah. And a lot of the times, exactly what you said, I feel guilty for calling in sick so I won't feel in sick. People putting that in the same category is a career change. And we need to get you confident enough to have this baseline thing of communication and not putting up with crap and all that stuff. Yeah. I reckon when people ask me what I do, I always say leadership. And there's this kind of old saying that everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think it's true, but it always feels really broad. And I actually would bring it back and I would say that most of our biggest problems are a communication problem and they can be solved through a communication solution. And I would suggest that most of our biggest challenges really just start with a, a simple and honest conversation. And that's what we're talking about in this. And like, this is, it might be weird um, and they will certainly delete it from the podcast if they're not comfortable to put it up. That's kind of what I've told my team because sometimes I use real examples. Mm. If the team, and I, I've had this with Rach before, I'm like, hey, if you want to actually just chat about something because things can be real and awkward, right? Mm. I'm like, just... We use the code word, apricot. Hey, Glenn, can we have an apricot chat? I love and that. And it's just like, okay, yep, sweet. We've got to talk about something serious. Because when we work so close with our team members, it's friendships layered, it's fun layered, it's work layered, it's this big ball. Yeah. And when you need to have a serious conversation, and it's probably just my personality of I mesh everything in the one ball, it's just that, hey, just be very clear with me that you need to have a serious chat. Mm. And it's kind of removes a bit of awkwardness anyway because I've used the, the safe word or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the things that I've found in our life, and this is probably even relevant for people who are having their own kind of money stories as well, is that we all carry around this invisible rule book mm. and the rule book is the thing that we use to judge ourselves and other people by. And the challenge is that I can't see what's written in your rule book and you can't see what's written in mine. And so there's expectations of self, others in the world. So these are my expectations of myself, my expectations of you and just the world in general. So let's put it in the context of money. It's like my expectations of money is well, this is how much I should earn every year. Expectations of other people could be like, well, if you've got a problem, you should come directly to me. Expectations of the world might be something like, well, the world should be kind and empathetic and understanding. And the reality is all of our expectations are often misaligned. Yeah, so my thing is... You know, are you saying I just can't push stuff under the rug? <laughs> well, I'm saying what happens is I'll use my expectations to judge you and you use yours to judge yeah. me and they're often misaligned. And so if you're in a team and you go, I hate the way we do this, the question I always ask is, have you ever told someone that that's not the way you like it to happen? Mm. And the same with these com these apricot conversations, great ones, because examples where you go, hey, I need to have a conversation, a real conversation about our expectations of each other. Mm. And I feel like there's something that's misaligned right now. And once we have that conversation, it opens up a whole new world. Yeah. And I want like my team to feel like they can come to me with anything. Yeah. Because I just want it to be awesome for everyone. 
Yeah. So I, there's, there's a great quote that I love is by Tori Aletto, who's an American psychologist. And she said that she said, what uh, isn't communicated is felt. What's felt is interpreted and what's interpreted is often inaccurate. Wow. And so I think that's the key. Like the key in all this is can we communicate so that we're not interpreting? Mm. So there you go. We might put a button on the kind of team culture thing and just more of a use this time to reset your current team or workplace. If you think there's uh, an issue like if you think there's lack of trust, if you think there's some negativity from leaders or team members, if you think there's absent or disconnected leaders, if there's unclear or unrealistic workload expectations or lack of accountability, that's just a possible red flag that there's some bigger issues. And just finally, someone in the Facebook group at the end of last year, they, they put a post up and they said, oh, I haven't been paid for some time and my super's missing and all that stuff. And there was a big conversation there. And I, I think I jumped on and said, oh, hey, generally with workplaces and teams and employers, past performance is an indication of future performance. So you need to get the hell out of there because if, they're not getting, if you're not getting paid, that's a showstopper. Like any comments on on that type of vibe. The the more that you can preempt something, I mean, what I would, you know, we've talked about what do I do if I'm spotting these unhelpful behaviors within our current team, but there's a lot of people who you're maybe looking to get a new job. You're looking to shift your jobs and you're trying to spot a culture before you go in there. And I would go back to those kind of areas we looked at, a lack of trust. I would be asking questions in your interview that preempt and give you an insight into the culture. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Would you even say for some type of roles... Um, you'd be like, oh, hey, you know, they said, oh, you've got the job or whatever. Yeah. Which, okay, cool. Just finally, would you be comfortable for me to maybe meet some of the team members or just walk around the office or the warehouse or something just to get more of a, a pulse check? Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. We're always <laughs> on the other, should on the you, other side Should you it. also like, you know, like look out for someone who walks past you and gives you the bit of paper that says run or something? Yeah. Like that. If someone's slipping you things and going like, get out while you still can, yeah. then that's probably a bit of a, a, a big red flag. Mm. But again, I would be treating the interview as a chance to interview the organization, yeah. but you can't come out and feel like a police interrogator. And so you have to be a little bit covert in how you'd ask those questions. So you might ask them, hey, can you give me an example of... Um, a recent project you've worked on a team what went well what didn't go well but tune your ear to some of these kind of core behaviors going were there clear expectations or you might ask them hey what does success look like on this team and if they if the interviewer the person on the team says uh i don't know you just do a good job there's a good chance they probably don't have any expectations and just i was just thinking as you're saying this um and communicating uh, in the book, Never Split the Difference, did you ever read, it's the negotiator book? I, I've seen it many times. Yeah. Um, it's worth a read to anyone uh, wants to read stuff like that. It's all about negotiating and all that. But one of the techniques in your team meetings, you're like, oh, it's, I think he calls it like labeling. It's like, oh, hey guys, it sometimes feels like there are unclear or unrealistic workload expectations. Is that just me or is... Like, could you put it out there? Like, you're not accusing. It's just that it feels like this is happening sometimes. Yeah, I always use the the, the language of of curiosity. Yeah, I think get curious around how things happen and almost treat it like you're. It's really interesting to you, and so it could be like, hey, I've I've observed this or I've noticed this, mm-hmm. and I'd love to kind of understand where this comes from, um, or or just kind of being in that space where you you kind of ask questions about 
particular way things get done. I always say name it, frame it, explore it, and then reframe it, which is basically name what the kind of expectation might be and frame it as an expectation. So if someone says to you, hey, you know, I use this example, I was at a conference recently and I said, what's one of your expectations you have of someone on your team that you've never said out loud? And this lady said to me, well, I expect that when someone goes and makes a cup of tea, that they'd make a cup of tea for me as well. (laughs) And I was like, everyone in the room was just shocked. And I said to her, what was that about for you? Which for me was about framing it. Mm. And she said, for me, it's about collaboration. And I honestly, in in my entire life, have never heard someone describe making a cup of tea as collaboration before. Mm. And what it allowed us to do was to explore that expectation And as we started to explore it, we asked ourselves, is this a helpful expectation to hold or unhelpful? And we realized it was pretty unhelpful. It was allowed us to then reframe it in a way that's more helpful. So in your team meetings, go, hey, can I understand the expectation of us here? And can we explore that expectation together? And you might find, oh, it's actually not a helpful one. Now, before we go to a break, we've talked about like if we're the employee, what if you actually lead a team or it's your business and you're listening to this and thinking, I am guilty as sin here. Like... (laughs) Because you, you can't walk, you can't, you know, if you've got no trust or whatever and you're a leader, you can't walk in Monday morning, kick the door down and go, all right, kids, we're doing this a new way. Like, they'll be like, oh, what? Yeah, this is going to last five minutes. Like, so how do you go, how do you take your team through this journey? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it has to start with a level of intention and and be made explicit to the team that you want to go on this journey. Because so I think you could try to covertly influence the culture and, in, and you end up back in that space of interpretation. Instead, I think you need to sit down with your team and go, hey, I've observed this and I think we need to have an explicit conversation about this. So for example, hey, we noticed that there's you know a lot of micromanaging going on in our team as a behavior. And I think that says something about the value of our team, which is maybe we don't trust each other as much. So we've got to sit down as a team and go, hey, we're going to talk about our culture. And one of the areas that as a lead I want to focus on is how we build trust. Mm. And so we say trust is our expectation, but now we've got to make clear what are the behaviors of trust. Mm. And as a leader, you don't get to decide all of those for yourself. You know, it was on a personal kind of thing. A lot of you who have been following the podcast and all that know that last year we moved to the four day work week, right? Well done. And yeah, it's been really amazing. And there was one week where some of the show hosts, they didn't get the podcast in and basically it got to a a Thursday and Nathan actually didn't have anything to edit and he'd done all his, all his work. And Rachel just said to him, Oh, have the day off. And I was like, yes, this is what it's like if we're brave enough as a, the business owner or whatever to go, yeah, we're going to do this and have this flexibility. I've got to follow through and be like, well, no work to do. Have the day off. And it was just awesome. How did you feel about that? Like, honestly, how did you feel about that? I honestly, it was more that, well, I talk about this stuff. This is, I because I, I had to put it back on the stuff that I did in my four-day work week decree because I did all these bullet points. And I felt good. Like, I felt that I had empowered the team because we are moving from a, bums on seats nine to five to uh, think like an owner, work whenever you want. We've got to make sure the job gets done. Simple as that. So I, I felt really freed and empowered. That, that sounds like a, like for me, when I heard that, it sounds like a secondary response, which is free and empowered. My first one would have been every kind of history and experience that I've had said that it's five days, nine to five, because that's what the entire career that I had was brought up in. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, 
it's not easy to adjust. Yeah. Like we are adjusting to this and it, it will feel weird. Yeah. To... That's the muscle you mentioned before, right? Yeah. That's the muscle where you go, hey, we're going to do a four-day work week. Mm. And at the start, it's going to feel like, oh gosh, this feels underdeveloped. Yeah. But over time, that'll become normal. Mm. So anyway, we're, um, we'll have a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about some personal leadership stuff. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, we're back. One of the best things that I ever did in my life was really learned who I was and how I operated and I needed to lead myself well. And a lot of that stuff was being self-reliant, No one else is looking out for me, so I need to look out for myself. So personal leadership, it's a big thing. And I don't know, like, would you say there's any kind of 101 things to start if you want to start this year stronger and, I don't know, do yourself a favour and take responsibility for yourself more? Mm. Oh, great question. I reckon we're almost touching on an element of what we talked about earlier on, which is these kind of these confidence issues that we have. I reckon one of the biggest challenges for people who are kind of navigating their career growth and progression is that they're most of the time they spend is invisible. Mm. They're too concerned about showing up and being seen. And as a result of that, nobody ever sees them. And so they're not the first person that comes to mind when the career opportunity comes up. They're not the first person they think of to lead a project or to give experience because they're, they're trying to, you know, fly under the radar a little bit. And so I think a personal leadership conversation starts with a conversation about personal positioning, mm. which is positioning is the mental real estate that you occupy in the mind of other people. So if I was to say, you know, what comes, what's the, what's the first um, word that comes to your mind when you think of a Coca-Cola? Like what's the first word that pops into your mind? Nectar. Nectar. Delicious black nectar. <laughs> I guarantee it. People who are listening to that, that's not the first word that came to their mind. It's probably sugar. Sugar, yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. So, and, and oh gosh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to list a thousand brand names yeah. here because it's, it's, you know, they're not paying you for this. But, ah, whatever. Um, but what about Subway? Oh, turkey. <laughs> I always <laughs> have a turkey sub. Yeah. Okay, last one. What about someone like Jacinda Ardern? 
leadership, right? So what you're doing is there's a, a place in your brain that has this mental real estate when these names come up in conversation. So the question I always ask people is, what's the mental real estate that you occupy in the mind of other people? So for your boss, your team members, the people in your organization. And for some people, it's absolutely nothing because they don't know who they are. And for others, it's maybe not how they'd like to be known. And I reckon the key of personal leadership is how do I close the gap between how I would like to be known and how I'm currently known? Mm, Yeah, right. One thing that I've done recently, and I found it fascinating, like I don't think it's the be all and end all, like I've done the My Briggs thing, I've done the Enneagram thing, but I recently did the Gallup Strength Finder. Yes. And I think that was probably the most accurate in terms of how I operate almost, it sounds kind of weird, but how I operate on a binary level, like a, you will do this or you'll do this, like very direct. And I showed the team some of that stuff. And I I think I even put it on Instagram and you responded. So one of my things was, I'll always want to do a task with a sense of urgency and be worried why people are freaking out. Why is this urgent all of a sudden? Like, yeah. And yeah, it was just fascinating. So would you say it's worth everyone doing that so they can just learn more about themselves? Yeah, oh, entirely. I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably a little bit biased in this because I'm a Gallup strengths coach. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time with people working through their strengths. And if I was to kind of talk about the four things that are most important for positioning, it's these four. It's number one, it's character. Number two, it's narrative. Number three, it's reputation. Number four, it's credibility. Right. Those are the four things. But if I was to kind of divide a line between the two that are the most important, it's character and narrative. The first one is character. Who are you really? Narrative is who are who is the person that you describe yourself to be, the stories that you tell about yourself and the stories that you tell to yourself. That character piece is like, what are my values? What are my strengths? Who am I as an individual? And not a lot of people spend time actually digging deep into some of those things. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think it's, yeah, know how you operate mm. and then you might be able to lead yourself better. <laughs> well, some, a friend of mine, Rowan Dredge, um, yeah, he's who I been think on the show before. The show, yeah. yeah, he said this, do you know what it's like to be on the other side of you? Mm. And I think what strengths does is almost holds up a bit of a mirror for you and you go, oh my gosh, that's me. And then you realize, oh my gosh, that's what it's like to be on the other side of me. Yeah. And you see the good, the bad and the ugly that goes with it. So how would you use like personal leadership mm. in your own career. Like, yeah. cause we talk, you know, all these philosophical things like, you know, it's all well and good, but if you got in like some actual practical things that people could learn right now and implement. Yeah. I, w- I would definitely start them like going to the Gallup website and take your strengths finder assessment. The reason why is because it'll give you an idea of what are the things that help you to be at your best. So for example, like if we, if we take, what was one of those themes that popped up for you? What was one of them activator? Yeah. yeah. Cause that sense of catalytic sense of urgency yes. is something that is hallmark. That was my number with, one with activator. activator, right? Yeah. And so the whole theme of activator is little less conversation, little more action. Yeah, baby. And so if you're sitting in a meeting and everyone in the room is going like, Hey, let's just kind of keep talking about it. You're like, yeah, but what are we going to do about it? Like, how do we get things moving? So that's you. Mm. Right. And then you go, yes, that's me. The problem is, is on the other side of you is someone who's deliberative. Right, And it's another one of the 34 themes that Gallup identify. Now, if that person has deliberative, their metaphor is a foot on the brake and your metaphor is a foot on the accelerator. So there's an instant mismatch. Instant mismatch. And so you're sitting there going, let's speed things up and someone else is going, let's slow things down. And the question is, which one of you is right? 
well, the speed up person. Naturally, because <laughs> it's yours, right? So the, the problem is that they're both right. Yes. And yes. so if you don't know that about yourself and you can't lead yourself in that way, you will bulldoze other people who have incredible opportunities to bring to the team or to the environment because you're kind of just so focused on yourself. But if you're leading yourself better, you know how to navigate those and navigate those and pull out the best of other people. And you actually are more identified as someone who can bring people together rather than bulldoze people in the process. Yeah. Someone asked me yesterday, actually, fascinating question. They said, what do you reckon the best thing that you've done for yourself in the last 10 years? And I'm like, oh, wow. And I said, to be honest, when I was like 27, I did some like really good sessions with a psychologist and just so understood who I was and how I operate because that exact thing, like we experience the world as we see it Mm. and believe it or not, and it blows my mind that people don't operate the same way I do. (laughs) Yeah, I see that all the time. Selfish of them. I see that all the time because I think the, the golden rule, right, is this kind of golden rule which transcends cultures and everywhere in the world. Gallup talk about the reverse golden rule. And it's basically the golden rules treat others how you know they want how you would want to be treated, whereas the reverse golden rule is lead others how they like to be led. And it's like, okay, well, what are the things that bring out the best in you? And I know that this is a I know, it's a strange conversation for a, what is this kind of type of podcast. Yeah. But let's kind of translate that just for a second. Let's take your activator theme and that catalytic sense of urgency and wanting to do things quickly and get things started and put it into your personal finances. If you're sitting there like, I want to get things moving, I I don't want to sit on my hands and I don't want to wait versus someone who's highly deliberative who probably sits back and it's like activator is let's get things right as we go. Mm. Deliberative is let's get things right and then get going. Yeah. Right. So if you take those two areas and you apply it to your work, you apply it to your finances, you've got two very different styles that is going to kind of take you in two very different directions. So the Gallup Strength Finder stuff, like, so what you're saying is I could use those things- like it's not just for work, is it? Like no, I it's, it's for work, it's life, it's relationships, yeah, it's right. everything. So for example, you might be in a relationship with someone who's really high futuristic, mm. which means that their whole focus around decision-making is looking towards the future versus someone who's um, really high in context, which is all about the past. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking in two different directions. So you've got someone who's analyzing data from the past to make decisions. You've got another person who's using vision and goals as their yeah, baby, right? For the future. <laughs> and you're looking at the thing, you know, we, we want different things. So Gosh. it's every aspect of life that it touches. Gosh. Yeah. My um, strength thing, I had like, it was a very rare thing. Mine was like, one in 33 million had yeah. my combination. So that's that's the stats on the Gallup Clifton strengths is your, have this, the likelihood of having the same top five in the same order as anybody else in the world, one in 33 million. <laughs> it's so uniquely written for you, which is why it obviously feels pretty accurate. Yeah. Okay. So that first point, really nail and see how you work with others basically. Yeah. Know your operating system. Mm. Like that's really what it comes back to is like, what is my internalized operating system? Any other practical things that someone might pick up that they could implement to lead themselves and their team better? Yeah, look, I know I know this is going to like be met with an eye roll, but I was in a workshop last week and I had 60 young leaders in that workshop and I asked them how many people have explored their values and I had two people in that room said they looked at their values. Mm. And I know it is met with eye rolls because of that reason, but it's one of the most crucial elements of leading yourself because most of us don't talk about our values. We get um, bump, we bump into values. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, you're out and someone lies to you and you catch them lying. 
and you very quickly go, oh, that was a value for me. I didn't realize it just, it triggered me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And so we typically learn our values through interactions. But if you can be intentional about getting really clear on what your values are, then it'll help you to make more informed decisions. I've been burnt personally on this in previous years because I say what I mean and I mean what I say. Like if I say it to you, I'll mean it. Mm. Like I ran into someone at one of our live events and I said to them, yeah, I'll do an episode with you. I want to hear your story. Anyway, they were like, they didn't hear from me for months and months and months and obviously thought, oh, they didn't want it. Then I finally got back and they're like, oh, I thought you didn't want it. I'm like, no, no, I said it and I mean it. The time frame thing is another issue, like when I, but I'll get around to it. And then another time, one company that they wanted to work with the podcast, we basically had a lunch handshake deal that yeah we'll do a month worth of advertising in this month's time I'm like sweet I don't need I'll yep I'll take your word for it because I do business with people not organizations turns out that's not how the rest of the world works came up to do this campaign we'd reserved the month and they said oh no sorry we can't do it anymore and I was like but you said that and I didn't book anyone else in because you gave me your word but I had experienced the world how I do the world. Yeah. That's, that's often associated with high values of responsibility. The responsibility is my yes is my yes and my no is my no. And not everyone operates that same way. So when someone says to you, hey, could you do this thing for me? And you go, yeah, 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 I'll do it. You, you mean you'll do it. Whereas other people go, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And they'll come back and say, oh, it's actually something else came up. I got too busy. Mm. And, like, and for them, it meant just as much to say yes, but it also wasn't a priority. And so they shifted the priorities, but not everyone operates that way. It's, it's a different operating system. So my top four values, autonomy, flexibility, honesty, and communication. That's great. Yeah. Most people haven't defined those. Yeah. That's kind of like, I just, I'm honest to a detriment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I value that autonomy. I want to work when I want. I value like being flexible. Like, yep. And you probably saw it today. Well, no, we we moved this interview about fifteen times in four different locations. Like we're in Melbourne at the moment. But I just vibe it out. Yeah, and that's you, and that's okay. Yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't hold you to my values or standards and in the same way you don't do the same is we've got to try and find a a middle ground for us to connect over I think one of the challenges is that you get your values and go this is me therefore everyone must accommodate my values Mm -hmm. and there's a distinction between being firm on the values that you hold but also not imposing them on everybody and so for example like if you're an activator i'm not going to sit there and go well i'm a delirious so we're not going to we're not going to move up until you kind of slow down yeah but in the same way you go hey i'm actually going to help you as a delivery person kind of get moving and i'm going to help you as an activator just slow down a little bit but it does make sense because you know me knowing what i'm like and what the team members are like at my millennial money like a couple of years ago because i'll come in with this new idea and i'll put every single resource we've got we'll throw it at that idea and, oh, it didn't work. But that thing, like with my team, I put it out there, let them think on it. It's like, oh, no, it actually sucks. And then it's now they're actually an asset because that's a blind side that I've got. So I'm using other people's values or who they are as an asset for me. Does that mean I'm a psychopath by gaming that? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I think, again, self-awareness is the starting point, but then team awareness is better. Mm. So self-awareness is knowing how do I operate at my best. Team awareness is allowing other people to know that. 
So for example, if you if you value flexibility, the best thing you can do is let the people on your team know and your manager know that. So do you know what I'm doing? And this is for those who lead a team, right? One thing that I've been doing recently is kind of using this language, like just finding out if the team has an idea about something and I'm kind of against it or I can't see it. I just ask the question, like, is this a hill you're willing to die on? Because if it is, it's so very important to you and we'll go down that road. But if you're not willing to die on that idea, on on that hill idea or whatever the saying is, well, I'm overruling it. I'm the boss. Like, I don't know, like it sounds brash, but I kind of- not at all. What I like, one of the things that I've noticed in this conversation we've had is you've created language which helps people to interpret kind of situations in a way that's like mutual understanding. Yeah. Um, I was working with a team in Sydney and we were kind of creating some of this language and they used the lyrics from that song, know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Right. It was the same thing. Like, do you want to die on this hill? So they'll sit there in a meeting and they go, is it a time to hold them or is it time to fold them? Like, is this that moment for you? And they're like, no, no, I reckon I've got a winning hand here. It's like, all right, well, hold them and dig your, dig your yeah. heels in. Um, Amazon use a phrase, which is have a backbone, disagree, then commit, which I, I like. So the backbone piece is like, have a say, have an opinion and do the work to have an opinion. And then when it's time to fold them, hey, it's time to fold them, like let it go. Do you have a third type of tip for personal leadership um, after we kind of work out our values? Yeah. Look, I reckon the last one I'd say is, is what are the habits that help you to be at your best? Now, habits is, it's interesting because it's the start of the year. Are Everyone's gonna, thinking Are you going to be like, make your bed every day? <laughs> make your bed. No, not those kinds of habits. I would say like, what are the things that you do that help you to be at your best every single day? Because when you're at your best, you show up in a better way and you show up in a better way and it influences how other people see you. Mm. If you show up every day and you know that you suck in the morning before coffee and you don't have a coffee until 10 o'clock and from nine till 10 every day, you're the worst human on the planet to everyone around you. Mm. You show up, your team hate you. Your manager thinks you're a jerk because you know, you're know you treating people horribly. The last person they're thinking about for career progression and opportunity is the person who's a jerk. Mm. But if you go, hey, I know I'm at my best when I take 15 minutes in the morning to do some mindfulness, I've got my coffee, I've had breakfast, I show up into my office feeling great or I show up on my first team's meeting feeling great, people go, hey, they're just, there's something about them. They've got that energy. And so, look, James Clear is the master when it comes to habits. Mm. He talks about how much this, he said, if you want to get successful, say yes to everything. If you want to stay successful, say no to everything. And I always kind of reframe it as if you want experience, say yes a lot. If you want longevity, say no more often. Mm. Um, So what are the habits? What are things you need to get into the habit of saying no to so that you can be at your best every day and let that be the thing that allows you to show up and lead yourself better? Yeah, because I think sometimes with your own life and your own career, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it in the career book, a good opportunity that comes your way it just could be a distraction of what you're already doing. Mm. Like you don't have to take every opportunity that's given and there's power in the no. Yeah. Yeah, because every, every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Mm. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So when you sit there and go, should I change jobs? And I say no to this job. Well, you're saying yes to other opportunities. Mm. Or if you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to say yes to staying up late tonight. I'm saying no to sleeping in in the morning because I've got to get up and get to work. You know, it's the yes and no paradox. Yeah. So if you are wanting to, you know, have a stronger year with your own personal growth, what can you say no to? Mm. And and this is all this weird, like all this cultural stuff, because we'll wrap up now, all the team stuff at work that you're in and the personal leadership stuff. If you can make it a goal in your life, in over the next six months to improve something, whether that is 
have a hard conversation at work or ask, hey, is this unrealistic, this expectation, or is it just me, lol? Um, or I need to actually work out what I value as a person in my own personal constitution. I guarantee you, you will make more money mm. and have a better life and a better career. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is the stuff that is the lead rather than the lag. The lag is the career progression and the financial increase and the opportunities that come from that. But that will the all lead come. Stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But you do the lead stuff, which is who am I? What are my habits? What are my strengths? What do I bring? How do I create a great culture around me? You do all of those things and the rest of that stuff is a consequence and it flows on very quickly. Absolutely. Recap the names of your book. Let's Talk Culture is uh, book number one and Lead the Room. We'll put links in the show note. Your website or whatever, shanehatton.com. Shanemhatton.com. Sorry. Yes, there's, there's people who've gone to jail who are very prominent on Google called Shane Hatton, hence the reason Shane M. Hatton. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, thanks so much for uh, having a chat about all the important things. But before we go, was there anything that you wanted to get off your chest that I haven't asked you? It's a good question. One thing I want to say is thank you because you said before one of the things is your yes is your yes. You met me at one of your events that you did here in Melbourne and you said, hey, I want to get you on the show. And this is a, a follow through on that commitment. So yeah, that was like six months ago. <laughs> yeah, for, but for people who are wondering, is this just all kind of word of mouth um, and just all lip, lip service? It's not. That's the kind of person you I are. I didn't so. even, yeah, because I, I do remember because when I met you. Yeah, it's the first thing you said to me. Yeah. So thank you. No, no, because I, yeah, because it was people at that event. I was like, yeah, I want to get you on the show. And then now it's happening when you might have thought, oh, that guy's a dickhead, like he said that. <laughs> no, no, I, I absolutely, I knew that we we're going to have this conversation. I'm super grateful for it. Yeah, awesome. All right. Thanks, friends. See you soon. Thank you. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.